Greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This devotional is titled, Seeds of Murder in the Heart. Seeds of Murder in the Heart. Of Christ's six antithesis statements, But I say to you, found in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, the very first thing that Christ dealt with was the issue of murder. Here Jesus shows that murder at core involves deeper issues of the heart, as revealed in anger, contempt, and cursing. In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. The you referenced here in this context refers back to Jesus' disciples as seen in 5.1. Therefore, this is essentially addressed to professing believers. Note throughout as seen in verse 22, 23, and 24, the person being sinned against is called a brother. In view here are family issues. The language here of in danger of judgment assumes the anger in view is wrong, which is why the person is in danger of judgment. And the judgment in context for anger would seem to be accountability to the lower local court for acting out in a sinful way. The point is, this anger isn't technically murder, but it is still wrong for which one is accountable. What Christ is illustrating is that there are degrees of sin related to the ultimate issue of murder. Don't think just because you haven't actually murdered someone you're innocent. There are levels of related sin with corresponding consequences. Just being sinfully angry with someone puts one in danger of one level of judgment. But on the next more serious level is calling a brother Raka. Raka was an Aramaic term that was a contemptuous insult. It was equivalent to calling someone brainless, empty-headed, a blockhead, stupid, numbskull, or an idiot. Such an action is so serious that it puts one in danger of being brought up on slander or libel charges before the council, referring to the Supreme Court in Israel called the Sanhedrin. Thus, Christ illustrates just how serious this sin is. It's not just a little thing. It deserves Supreme Court attention. And then Jesus says, But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow! Now that is most serious. D.A. Carson says, quote, To a Greek, moros, that is fool, would suggest foolishness, senselessness, but to a speaker of Hebrew, the Greek word might call to mind the Hebrew mora, which has overtones of moral apostasy, rebellion, and wickedness. End quote. Therefore, the idea here is that of calling the person a damned fool a wicked fool that is on his way to hell. It has a sense of wishing them dead and that they would go straight to hell. It is the essence of when someone says, God damn you. Such a person is calling on God to consign the person to hell. That is the sentiment. And few things are more serious than this. This is hellfire serious. Jesus was saying, that hateful speech that seeks to damn people is indicative of not really knowing God, just as hate is not indicative of those who truly know God. This is not characteristic 
of a true kingdom citizen. However, that is not to say that a true believer, to a degree, couldn't fall into the very serious sin of hatred or murder. It's not indicative of the believer's new nature or of his ongoing practice, but we still all have the flesh, and we can fall into any of the flesh sins mentioned in Galatians 5, which is why we are warned against committing them. Note Christ's words very carefully. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. To be in danger of indicates this is the required penalty the guilty party would normally be facing unless there was some kind of intervention. When I consider the whole counsel of God, I take Jesus to be saying this is indicative of unbelievers who are headed to hell if they don't repent. However, if a believer should fall into such a sin, they should realize this is so serious that it normally places one in danger of hellfire. But of course, as believers, we know that Christ died for this sin also. Apart from the intervening blood of Jesus, we should go to hell for such a sin. Thus, Jesus is emphasizing the gravity of murderous sin in the heart, which even has application for those that are disciples. The point is, we need to realize just how very serious hatred in the heart really is. In hatred are found the seeds of murder, which is indicative of those who are not saved. This is not to define Christ's kingdom people. Love, not hatred, is the defining reality for Christ's people. Christ continues, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Christ's audience was Jewish and pre-cross while the temple was still standing. And so he speaks to them on that level. This person has come to the temple with an offering seeking divine forgiveness. As he stands there waiting his turn when the priest can attend to him, he then remembers that he has wronged someone in the sense of the sins mentioned in verse 22. Christ is saying before you can really worship God in an acceptable manner, you first have to get right with your brother. First priority is to get right with your brother, even a higher priority than the offering. Note it is the offender here who is to take the initiative. They are to obey their conscience. They know they have done wrong. They know this person has this against them. There is a rift in the relationship, and they are to make the first move. Christ, in effect, says, leave the temple and your offering and do whatever it takes to reconcile with your brother. This is top priority. And the first step is getting right with your brother. And in getting right with your brother is how you get right with God. First, we get right with our brother or sister, and then we can worship in spirit and in truth. If we don't get right, there's going to be an ongoing wall between us and God. Believers guilty of the, quote-unquote, family sins of murder, as seen in verse 22, need to deal with it by first being reconciled to their brother. Only then can God bless. Jesus continues, Matthew 5, 25, 26, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. In parabolic form, Christ is laying down yet another related principle. And that is, when you have done something wrong as illustrated in verse 22, then deal with it quickly 
and preemptively, instead of just sitting on it. The picture here is that of a person who has wronged someone, here called an adversary. In Christ's day, under Roman law, if someone didn't pay a debt they owed, they could be brought before a judge, and the judge would then order them to be thrown into prison until the debt was paid. This was called debtor's prison. People, even God's people, are often very reluctant to admit guilt, to deal with it. Again, our ego always seems to be in the mix. In the form of this parable, Christ is saying, if you are wrong, be quick to admit it and make things right. If you remain unrepentant, things are only, only going to get worse. You cannot just wait this out and think the consequences will eventually go away. You can't help what other people do, but you are responsible for your own actions. In this illustration that Christ is giving, the person clearly knows they have wronged a brother. They clearly know they should get right. The onus is on them. In this case, the offending person needs to move on it. They need to take the initiative to get right and not put it off. As believers, when we get off track and things are not right between us and a fellow believer, what should we do? Well, we should realize that we are headed for judgment, disciplinary judgment. And beyond that, the judgment seat of Christ, we too should, quote unquote, settle out of court, so to speak, and get right with each other and thereby with God. John Phillips says, Paul mentioned the judgment seat of Christ in the same breath as the terror of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. Kingdom citizens are to take Christ's teaching to heart. Be very careful of any hateful thing going on in your heart. Not only is murder wrong, so also is hate. Hatred is murder in seed form. And when we have done wrong as followers of Christ, we should seek reconciliation as soon as possible. Our relationship with each other is intertwined with our relationship with God. To be right with God, we have to be right with each other. This is God honoring and in keeping with kingdom ethics. This truly is kingdom living. God help us as his children to live accordingly. Lord, we thank you for uh, your law of love, which is now to be the law of uh, the kingdom citizens who are your people. Uh, Lord, we're not to allow hatred, um, the seeds of murder to uh, take place in our heart. Lord, we're to deal with it. And uh, so, Lord, help us to uh, indeed follow your prescription here as far, as far as when we do fall into sin and hatred gets in there and we say or do hateful things. Lord, help us to deal with it quickly, uh, preemptively. Uh, things are not going to get better down that course. Uh, we need to repent. We need to get right with you, uh, right with our brothers, our sisters, and in that way, be right with you. And, and then our offering can be blessed. Lord, again, uh, help us to apply it and indeed live out uh, these kingdom ethics that you spell out here in the Sermon on the Mount. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.